Hello and welcome in to the 102nd episode of the Esports Network podcast. I might stop naming the number with every single podcast soon, but not yet. I'm your host, Mitch Reams, and today's guest is yet another illustrious guest. We're on a great run right now. It's CEO of Complexity Gaming, Jason Lake. Jason, thanks for joining the show. Absolutely. Thanks a lot for having me. Uh, glad to be here. If you're not familiar with Jason Lake, I don't know where you've been. He's one of the absolute OGs of Western esports, and few people have had such a guiding role in the current industry. So he's helped Complexity Gaming become one of the biggest organizations in the world since he founded it way back in 2003. In 2017, Dallas Cowboys owner Jerry Jones bought a controlling stake in the team, moved Complexity right next door to the Jerry Jones Dome, but Jason Lake is still in charge and is using that Cowboys facility to help push player health and player nutrition forward in esports. Complexity currently fields teams in CSGO, FIFA, Fortnite, Apex, Madden, MTG Arena, and Hearthstone. So Jason, one of my favorite questions for people who have had a long history in esports, over 17 years running an esports organization, what's one game you could bring back from the dead that you just, if you could, and create a thriving esports scene around it, what game would you bring back? (laughs) Oh, man. There's a lot of great old games, right? Like Quake comes to mind. Quake was really great. Um, incredibly high skill ceiling. It kind of fell off. Um, another game that's not really dead, but it's far from the glory days, StarCraft II. I yep. miss seeing like really high-level giant events um, in the West for StarCraft II. It's still around, but uh, yeah, there's been so many great games that... Uh, you know, have have come and gone, or, or their stars have faded. But uh, we also have you know games that have been around a long time, like Counter Strike, and League has been around a long time now, and and still thriving, and and new exciting games coming out, like you know Valorant and and some others. So uh, it, it's a fun ecosystem. I don't know that any game really lasts forever, um, but we've got some games pushing twenty years, which is a pretty darn long time. So uh, yeah, it's a fun space to be in. It seems like we're reaching a little bit more staying power in in games, especially some of the ones uh, on your list. Yeah, CSGO, 20 years. FIFA's been around quite a long time. Madden esports are going on well over a decade at this point. It'll be interesting to see if the Battle Royale trend sticks around. It seems like it's still going strong now. Fortnite and Warzone both on top of Twitch very consistently. As far as esports scene goes, not totally developed, but... The mode's incredibly popular, and I don't see that going away anytime soon. Yeah, the numbers are huge for some of the battle royales, and they're they're a lot of fun to hop in and play for sure. Um, you know, I think when it comes to making a, a great esports, it all starts with with the game and the DNA of the game. Um, but in today's environment, with so many games coming out, and so many publishers wanting to hop on the esports bandwagon, it's really critical that the publisher handles the game properly. It's important that they listen to the players, um, the pro players. It's important that they listen to their community and that they adjust their game and manage their esport, whether it's an independent esport, more like Counter-Strike or, or a franchise system like League of Legends, um, that they that they listen to the community and and continue to provide a competitive product that's fun, not only for uh, the mainstream, but for the pro gamers that provide uh, entertainment for the viewers. I think, um, you know, there, there's been some interesting develop developments, you know, with Overwatch lately, uh, where Sinatra and, and some huge names have 
at the top of that game have left for Valorant. Um, and there's been some controversy around that game um, with with how they've handled, you know, the mechanics of the pro league and, and some other things. And, you know, it was a, it's a really fun game to play. Um, but but yet we find it struggling despite uh, a large amount of money pumped into it. You kind of look at a, a at an older dog like Counter Strike Go. You know that that's the successor to you know older versions, one point three, one point six Counter Strike Source. Um, that just keep seems to keep doing better and better. Um, you know, given we're in a strange situation as as we record this podcast, um, you know, with the quarantine situation, uh, but you know, ESL's last season was shattering all of its record viewership um, for, for an online league. Uh, and it's just always interesting to me to kind of follow a lot of different games. I'm a, I'm a video gamer at heart. I love games uh, to see like what is making certain titles really successful and, and why are some just seeming to falter when they, when they look to have a lot of opportunity and momentum in the beginning. Um, I always come back to, again, it, it's the DNA of the game. Um, you know, and, and and it needs to be a good viewership experience. Uh, but once you get past those two things, I think uh, the developer and how they interact with the players in the community uh, can make or break a title. Definitely. And it's tough as a developer. There's a few key issues. One being balancing to the casual player the casual player and the competitive player it's something that very very few esports have mastered i think csgo league of legends uh but that's something that was right at the heart of many of the Fortnite controversies over the past year of like okay we're gonna do this for the casual player but now it's ruining competitive integrity finding yeah. that balance between the two is incredibly difficult yeah i totally agree um you want to have a game that that's uh, you want your game to be kind of like the ocean where where brand new people and little little children can come in and wade and enjoy the ocean and, and dip their toes <laughs> in but it just keeps getting deeper and deeper and deeper so your pro players who really want to devote their lives to the game have a very high skill ceiling um and it's really really hard uh to be as good as they are if, if the game has a, a cap skill ceiling then too high a percentage of the player base can can get to that level um kind of defeating the purpose of esports you look at traditional sports anybody can throw a football with their dad um, but if you want to get on the field with the dallas cowboys that's a that's another thing altogether yeah that's uh there's a, there's a big difference in that i like that analogy to the ocean that, that's a good one where you can wade in it's fine uh, but then you can really do some awesome stuff later in the game. And again, really tough to find where that skill ceiling lies. And that's just one of the challenges of making a successful eSport. Then you have to make it a place where it makes sense for teams to be, which is something that I think is coming under a lot of fire recently. I've had some conversations yeah. with people. Uh, it's just a lot of the esports ecosystem is not currently sustainable. And I talked with you about that for an esports insider podcast or esports insider article very recently. What is coming on the horizon in esports? So we're seeing in the Overwatch League right now, as you mentioned, all these top players leaving the league, teams paid upwards of 20 million all the way up to like 50 million, I'm pretty sure, uh, for spots in this league. What's the, from an esports team perspective, what do you need to see from a developer that where it makes sense for your team to be part of that league? 
Yeah, it's a great question, and it's a huge topic. We could definitely do the entire podcast on on this one topic alone. Um, at a high level, it's really simple. All the stakeholders sitting around the table of esports um, need to be able to eat, right? Um, everyone needs to benefit. Uh, the players need to benefit. Um, the teams need to benefit. Um, the developer who, who owns the IP needs to benefit. And if there's an independent league operator like ESL, um, you know, for certain games, they need to benefit. And esports is really nuanced in that traditional sports, nobody owns the football. Nobody owns the baseball. They, you can make your own league. You can have, you know, the, the XFL. Um, you know, just recently, there's another football um, league that formed in North mm-hmm. America. It looks like it might have got, you know, <laughs> wiped out pretty quickly due to the quarantine. Um, but anyone can start a football league and in esports, someone owns the, the ball quote unquote, right? Um, they own the intellectual property rights of the game and that makes them the boss. So there's always this tension between esports developers that kind of obviously, um, have shareholders and want to maximize their revenue and profit, um, on their different games and esports is, you know, becoming a very common way of looking to do that. And, And the teams, um, and the players and, and, and the leagues. So, you know, again, the, the simple analogy is everyone sitting around the table um, should have something to eat. And, and recently there's been a lot of disgruntled um, teams and, and some players that uh, the developers are not treating them um, with the amount of value uh, that we think we bring to the ecosystem. And, uh, you know, yeah. So, the, again, I don't want to go on too long a rant. But uh, every, everybody needs to be able to eat to have the ecosystem grow and, and, and stay healthy and expand. And uh, if only the, the developers are the ones making the money, you'll see less teams. Um, so there'll be less salaries and less support staff and things for players. Eventually see less players. You'll see less broadcasts. Um, and that doesn't promote uh, the exponential growth that I think we're all hoping for. So in my book, it just comes down to common sense. If we're going to engage in your game, we need to be able to bring in revenue um, as being a part of your ecosystem. We're going to help grow your ecosystem. We're going to use our social media platforms to expand knowledge of your game and awareness of your game. We're going to promote your broadcast. We're going to pay the players. We're going to feed the players. We're going to, you know, fly the players around. They're going to have managers and coach and analysts and, and, you know, um, psychologists and, and, and healthcare and all these things. And then the players, of course, are the heart of the ecosystem. They provide the entertainment. They provide the competition. They play your game and they stream your game on Twitch. All of these things are needed for a, a healthy global ecosystem in any game. And when you see any developer get too greedy and just like, hey, you know, we're not going to put your logos in the game. Or we're not going to do rev share. And we're not going to do this. We're not going to do that. It's like, well, don't cry to me later when your game is, is, is a tier three esport because you got greedy and you weren't willing to feed everyone at the table. Definitely. It's, I don't think any of our listeners have any problem with you ranting about these issues. It's a, you learn <laughs> a lot from, from your rants, especially. And I think there's definitely things that need to change. I mean, when you look at, traditional sports people don't just jump in to become fans of the nfl in general they're fans of a team and that same thing is now applying more to esports back to that esports insider feature i talked to andy miller as well as you to get another ceo's perspective and he was like we're brands now complexity nrg cloud nine 
these are really big brands that fans are incredibly attached to. You can't just toss us to the way like you might have done in esports past saying somebody else is yep. going to replace you because our brands matter. We bring a lot yeah. of fans with us. We have a huge social following. And as publishers, you need to realize the value that we're bringing to your esports league day in and day out. 100%. For for far too long, um, many of the developers just overlook the teams and, you know, well, hey, if these big team brands don't join our league, we don't care. We'll just, you know, make up our own team names or, or, or do whatever we think is going to be easiest. But those days are quickly, um, uh, you know, heading behind us. Uh, where, as Andy alluded to, it's like if you want energy, you want you know Cloud Nine, you you want complexity, you want Liquid, you want G two, um, you want them and you need them because we bring the sophistication. We're multi million dollar businesses now. We bring large fan bases. We bring a great deal of business acumen in the esports space to come alongside a developer and help the league product that they want to develop. Um, become better to help develop the game with feedback um, so it could be better and a lot of the people leading these team-based organizations now um, have some of the most experience in the ecosystem so i think it's just it's intelligent for newer developers especially to have a little bit of humility and be like hey you know if we bring in the top team owners and invite them into our game through fair revenue sharing um, and, and providing them a voice with the development of the game as an esport and the league structure and these other things, we're adding a hundred years of experience in one conference room. Like, it seems to me to be common sense. You're going to have a lot more opportunities for success if you do that, rather than coming in with an arrogance that, hey, we own the IP. This is our game. You can get on on board or you know, or or take off. Um, and I think we're starting to see that more and more where developers are realizing that there is a thriving, experienced, um, intelligent ecosystem already at play. And these team brands do have great um, brand equity and leverage in the community and voices across social media and, and YouTube and other things. So we do bring great value. And, and by far and away, you know, the team owners that I know are, are willing to be reasonable. We're not stupid. We know they own the IP. We know they invested millions of dollars to make a game. They're investing millions more to sustain and develop and, and improve their game. Um, you know, again, going back to my analogy, we can all sit around the table and, and, and have something to eat. You know, the developer's probably going to get a bigger portion because, you know, they own the table. But without us at the table, they're going to be sitting there eating alone and soon there won't be any food for them either. Yeah, and one good thing, at least, is that they still have competition between other publishers. We're seeing that a little bit with the Overwatch League, where undoubtedly one of the reasons this is cracking is because they priced out a bunch of endemic esports organizations upon launch. And they brought in a bunch of sports owners, and now those teams, the league didn't really have what it needed to succeed. Once a big competitor comes in in Valorant, suddenly the league MVP is leaving the Vancouver Titans, the defending champions roster or the defending uh, conference champions roster. I guess they, they, they lost in the grand finals, but releasing yeah. an entire roster. It's uh, clear that, you know, even as a publisher, you might have what seemed like the biggest new esport in Overwatch three years ago. And now it's possibly on a complete, 
crumble. I, I saw just today that Cecilia D'Anastasio, one of the investigative journalists in esports, she writes for Kotaku. She broke a few big stories, including the esports bubble, casting some doubt on news news numbers, and also Riot Games sexual harassment deal. She just had a whole thread about the Overwatch League and the uh, issues that caused the crumbling of this league. And, you know, when she turns her sights on on your league, your company, it's generally not a good thing uh, that comes out of that. So it's an interesting time for the Overwatch League, but it's good reminder to publishers that even if you have people who are willing to pay you $30 million for a spot in the league, that doesn't mean your league is completely foolproof and uh, in, invulnerable from competitors. So it is a good reminder to publishers at least that, hey, we have other people in this ecosystem that are crucial to making our league be successful long-term. Yeah. And, you know, and, and not to overwatch specifically, but, you know, just in the broader picture, historically, I think a lot of publishers have, have viewed teams as disposable. And uh, I think that notion has jumped the shark. Um, not only are teams not disposable, uh, we're probably a more important part of the ecosystem than we've ever been. We're, you know, far better funded than we've ever been and operating more sophisticated operations than we've ever operated. And uh, there's a lot of, uh, like you said earlier, there, there's a lot of options for us. There's a lot of great developers and publishers putting out um, great games and uh, the teams can pick and choose who we want to side with, where we want to make our investments, what players we want to hire. And, you know, I think the leverage and the power um in this entire equation is starting to balance out in favor of the teams. And I think we'll continue to see that in the years to come. And, you know, everyone just needs to be reasonable and, and humble to a certain extent. We're all here to, you know, put, you know, take care of our families. And, uh, you know, this can be done in a way that, that, that produces revenue for all the stakeholders in the community. And just because, um, you know, a publisher is the IP owner and creator of the product doesn't mean, uh, that they get all the revenue. And if that continues to be the case for some different publishers, I think you're going to see their esports go the way of dinosaurs. Absolutely. And, you know, it's no, there's no uh, lack of examples in history of some esports going the way of dinosaurs. I'm curious, looking at the history of esports, I think our brains naturally segment history into different eras. And I'm curious if your brain works the same way. And if so, <laughs> what are the different eras of yeah. esports? Because it feels like we've entered a new one in the past few years. Do you agree? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's multiple ways to break it down, obviously. I, I break it down into three segments. I call it esports 1.0, esports 2.0, and esports 3.0. And I break it down around the players because I believe they're the most um, critical part of the ecosystem. Uh, it, you know, in its simplest version, esports 1.0 um, was when this is back when I got involved around 2003. Um, you know, play, players were still, you know, living in mom's basement and and, and practicing each night with their teams um, online on new DSL connections. Back then, they might only see their teammates face to face once or twice a year, usually in Dallas at, at a CPL or a QuakeCon or something. Um, you know, it was a very nascent space and. and uh, it was the early days. Esports 2.0, in my perception, is is when the team house um, phenomena kind of begun. We actually opened the first team house in America, uh, in Dallas, 
um, 2005. So now we could move our players into one location. They're working and training face-to-face. Their coach could be in the same room and, and, and instructing them, and teams would get better um, very quickly versus just playing from home. Uh, the problem was, you know, we we discovered over the years, it's not healthy living with your coworkers <laughs> and uh, team chemistry it, it is a tough thing to maintain. And it's super tough to maintain if you're constantly have, have your coworkers in your face. You know, you go to make a sandwich. Hey, there's your teammate. You go to brush your teeth. Hey, there's a teammate. You know, you want to bring a significant other over and, you know, and all your coworkers are around. So what we've um, really been building out in Dallas for the past couple of years and, and, and during our focus on infrastructure is what I call esports 3.0. And it's much bigger than just where the players live. Um, but I think it's just could a, a good delineation. Our, our gamers live in luxury apartments that each have their own that are company provided. So they have their privacy. Um, each morning and afternoon breakfast and lunch, they have free food at uh, the Dallas Cowboys training table. So they eat the same food the Cowboys players eat. And it's provided by the company. Um, so they have good nutritious options. On our property, we have a gym called Cowboys Fit, which is the nicest gym I've ever worked out at. And they get free memberships to the gym um, so they can get their exercise and, and, you know, take care of their physical bodies. Um, also, you know, across the street from our headquarters, we have Baylor Scott and White Sports Therapy Hospital. Um, so our players get physicals there. They get preventative and reactive medical care across the street. And then, of course, they come over to um, our headquarters, which t- just turned a year old, the GameStop Performance Center, which is one of the most advanced um, training facilities in all of global gaming, <clears throat> where we've really worked hard when designing the infrastructure to provide our players with with a well-rounded, wholesome, um, 360 you know degree view of, of their well-being. Um, we have an area called the decompression porch, which is just for them to kind of use some of our rehab equipment and, and maybe take a nap at our nap pod and relax. We're focused on mental health. Um, we have a classroom where they can work with their coaches all together with a giant touch screen. Um, so there's proper communication and it creates less, um, less stress than trying to do it in traditional manners. We have a cog lab uh, or cognition lab. Uh, or we really do state-of-the-art advanced training with how the brain works um, and, and other things. We're focused on, you know, everything from from eye care, which we hope to announce soon, to uh, the chairs our guys and girls sit in. Um, you know, we, we spoke recently about our partnership with Herman Miller that have some of the most advanced ergonomic products um, in the world. So every every step of of a pro gamer's path in the complexity ecosystem and infrastructure that we bring to bear is is world class, um, and that's what I call esports 3.0. It, it's really about every minute detail about making sure our gamers can live a wholesome, healthy, um, intelligent life and have hopefully um, long careers. Uh, of, of joyful playing in this business instead of being shoved in a sweatshop um, with no consideration for their health, their well-being, their mental health, and all these other things. So that's how I kind of delineate the history is around the gamer. From mom's basement through the team or, you know, game house, um, which there's still some of that out, um, to this new era that we're in where esports teams at the highest level are operating much more like the Dallas Cowboys um, than they are the Bad News Bears. And we have very advanced multi-million dollar facilities, um, you know, sports psychologists, 
um, doctors and, and medical care. Um, you know, the, some of the next things we're going to be tackling at Complexity are really financial education to teach gamers. Um, you're making a good amount of money now. Um, let's learn about things like credit and, and, and proper money management and really just asking ourselves, how can we provide our gamers the best holistic well-rounded life um and education and experience while they're in our gaming family and and that's esports 3.0 i love it i mean i think it's just a great thing for the scene in general to have teams focusing on all those different aspects and from a business perspective one of the biggest issues esports need to figure out was player burnout it's really hard to turn individual players into superstars when they retire at the age of 25, it just I, yep. doesn't really happen. The comparison I always use is imagine if LeBron James was drafted and he never won an NBA championship. That He wouldn't be one of the biggest athletes in the world because he retired at the age of 25. And that's what a lot of gamers deal with. And I think these all the, all these different things, the, the mental health, the posture, nutrition, working out, all not having them live together <laughs> yeah. all help them have a longer career. What have you seen from Absolutely. players? You mentioned one year in the GameStop Performance Center. How have you seen players change or improve their lifestyles uh, with the new initiatives? Yeah, the reception has been phenomenal. Um, our players are incredibly appreciative of the thought and, and, and money and, and time that we put into our infrastructure and are generally blown away the first time they, they come visit. And the important thing for us is not just um, building a building and then, and then paying it lip service on, you know, podcasts like this and press releases, but actually doing it, being intentional about their schedule and being intentional about the fact that they need to be doing these things and not just blowing, you know, hot air and, and, and trying to get some cool press releases out. And they've been really receptive to that. I mean, as you know, gamers, all we tend to be a rebellious bunch and we tend to be a cynical bunch. So not everyone that comes through the doors is going to, you know, just adopt wholeheartedly everything that we're trying to do. But if we can get them to go 20%, 25% towards the right direction, what are you eating? Like, let's talk about it. You know, have you been to the doctor and gotten a physical, you know, and some of these things, not everyone's going to jump in head first, but if we can even get, start them down that road and educate them about these things, I think we're winning. And I think it's going to prove um, to be a really great investment uh, for the future, not only for us as a company and trying to win championships, but I think for the people that come to the door, they're going to look back on how they were treated and, and the things that they learn. And I think they're going to remember very fondly their their time and complexity. And, and that's something uh, that's meaningful. And that's something that we're about. I think that's fantastic. And if I was a player, I'd definitely be looking for a place that brought all those other different benefits to me and allowed for a long term career versus just a pure competitive environment, which is not always the most healthy situation. You mentioned the Herman Miller partnership, and it's one of my favorite partnerships of the last year in esports because it breaks the mold. And there's all these gaming chair companies, which are plenty respectable. They're, they make decent chairs. I'm sitting in one right now. Uh, but they aren't ideal, especially for posture. And there's quite a few issues. The the bucket seats, uh, the flared back. Herman Miller is a longtime office chair. They focus on ergonomics. Their chairs have, they've been doing this for 
80 years, 90 years, more? Uh, a long time in this space. Why did you want to break the mold, leave the gaming chairs behind, and go with a office chair company more focused on ergonomics? It's just the right thing to do. Um, you know, I've made no secret about my disdain for gamer chairs in general, and I've owned gamer chairs in my home, you know, and with our company previously. But once I started having back pains and, and really... You know, sometimes the things that are doing us harm, we don't even really think about because we're just busy living our lives. And gamer chairs were that for me. It's like, okay, gamer chairs. And I'd sit in the gamer chair and not realizing it was doing me harm. Um, and I think the gamer chair industry is built on a farce and a lie. It's like somebody in a factory in China had some extra race car seats. And they're like, hey, we could slap this on three wheels and armrests and call these race car seats um gamer chairs you'll look at the dang thing and it has f flares on the left and the right it's meant to keep you in a seat as you go around a, you know you're racing a car like what do those flares have to do with sitting for 12 hours working hard with your team absolutely nothing and some companies and you know i know some people that work at gamer chair companies they're good people you know they're just trying to make their way in the world and get a paycheck but let's be honest the products are trash um and of course we prefer Herman Miller. We believe it's the best. It's the price points can, can get, you know, quite a ways up there. And, and I've heard that from many of our fans that have reached out to me. And I understand that, but if you can't yet afford a Herman Miller, look for other options and pay attention to the ergonomics. And if we raise awareness, um, about this in the community and, and the community can benefit and grow through this awareness. Uh, we hope they buy a Herman Miller, but if they don't, we hope they, they don't buy a gamer chair. They buy something that's going to be good for them. Sitting that amount of hours is much harder on the body than, than many of us realize. And we have to make sure we're, you know, you know, it's all part of the holistic lifestyle is talking about. Are you eating right? Um, you know, are you are you getting exercise? Are you doing some of these things? Um, you're going to be sitting in this chair for eight straight hours. Like you want a chair that's going to support your body properly. Um, it's just the intelligent thing to do. It's kind of the same thought process about how many hours you spend in a mattress at night. Yeah, maybe it's worth spending a little more to get a good mattress and, and really be healthy about it. Well, often you're probably spending as much, if not more time in your, in your, um, you know, computer chair at your, at your desk than you are in your bed. I know I do quite often. Um, and once I kind of really started thinking about this and just not walking blindly through life, I realized that we've had the wool pulled over our eyes. These gamer chairs are a joke and we shouldn't be promoting them to children and just encouraging bad, bad ergonomics and bad health um, to young people that look up to us and our organization and our pro players. So it's an adjustment we've made that we're really proud of, uh, super proud of our affiliation with with Herman Miller. And uh, I'm going to keep ringing the bell in the community um, to bring awareness to the fact that these these racing chairs are not gaming chairs and we shouldn't be uh, promoting them to younger people in, in, in the gaming ecosystem. I'm saving up for my Herman Miller chair right now. Uh, the price point is high. It's a good investment. Like, <laughs> hey, gaming chairs aren't cheap either is the issue. It's not uh, That's like, the thing. It's not like they're giving those out for 50 bucks either. See, if you're going to drop three, four, five, six hundred bucks in a gaming chair, you know, save your money a little longer and get something that's healthy. Yeah, they really are an issue. And it's not just Jason who's saying this. Uh, to bring up another Esports Insider article, I talked with a couple of gamer doctors and they were like, yeah, these chairs are bad for your posture. They are not good. And there's plenty of reasons why, but generally they're focused on marketing. They're branded, they're flashy colors. Yep. Uh, and gamers love being marketed to, even if they think they're very 
uh, brand sensitive, they are suckers for a good marketing campaign that focuses on gamers. And that's really what the gaming chair phenomenon has been for, for a very long time. So if you want to try another office chair, and like Jason said, Urban Miller started, what was it, like 600 bucks? Yeah, something like that. They have a lot of different products. Um, and, and, you know, obviously we prefer Herman Miller. We wanted to go with the very best, but there are other more affordable ergonomic options. We just encourage people to, to do their homework and, and, and not get suckered into the, uh, the the racer gamer chair hype and foolishness. Yeah, Herman Miller is like your Lamborghini of the office chair. You can yeah. you find a nice Lexus for a more <laughs> reasonable uh, price than than Herman Miller. But ultimately, yep. it's you know what are, what are you willing to pay for for comfort? And I I want the Herman Miller. Maybe it's because I've talked to you so much recently. But <laughs> it's a it's a good chair, and I have back problems already. So it's like what are you, what are you gonna pay for uh, solving those back issues? That's right. Well, Jason, I want to be conscious of your time. We're already at 35 minutes, and I've really enjoyed talking with you. Uh, I want to ask one final question, and it's, I think, for people who have a very historical perspective on esports, it's that old adage, you know, whoever knows the history or doesn't know the history is doomed to repeat it. Uh, We've seen some market corrections in esports in the past. Do you think we're headed for another one in the coming years? Just how do you see these next few years in esports playing out? And what do you hope happens? And what do you think is going to happen if those two things are different? Yeah, and this is another topic I really haven't been shy about. Um, I've been saying for a couple of years now that I believe there there is an esports bubble. Um, it is not the type of bubble, in my opinion, that will pop. Uh, it, it'll more likely uh, deflate. Um, we, we saw a bubble pop in 2008. Um, with the championship gaming series and and that global economic crisis, you know, kicked esports in the groin pretty hard and set us back. Um, I don't think that's going to be the case this time. Esports is far too ubiquitous and diversified around the world in multiple titles and multiple game developers and, and, and tournament organizers and different teams and players. Um, but I do think a tremendous amount of uh, money has flooded into the space. And whenever you see that in almost any space, there's going to be a lot of bad bets made, right? You know, I, I always tell people esports can can be a pretty precarious um, type of jungle, and you need a really good tour guide, right? You need a really good Sherpa. Well, there's not a whole lot of them out there. They are definitely out there, but um, so once once those uh, you know Sherpas get 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 their investors and get their partners, um, there's still a, a lot of investors wanting to get into the space. So there's been a lot of money poured in, in into ideas and and organizations and things. In my personal opinion, I, I, I think it wasn't a money well invested. So as uh, as you know, that day and the comeuppance um, you know, starts coming upon us, I guess you could say, I think we are going to see a correction. We're going to see this bubble deflate a little bit. Um, organizations and different companies in the space are going to be weeded out. Um, but I think that's that's a good thing, right? It's like a forest. If you let it go too long without a healthy fire, then you have a raging inferno. I think you know, some of these things are going to burn out and esports overall is going to be stronger. And, and the organizations and companies that, that know how to operate in the space for the long term are going to benefit um, from the deflation. And then, of course, you throw in the entire um, 
real difficult situation that the whole world's in right now, um, you know, with the quarantine and, and the horrible disease and the economic crisis that could precipitate from that. Uh, I think it'll only accelerate the correction in the esports market. Um, you know, the ones that 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 are really going to make it for the long haul are going to be identified here probably in the next year, year and a half. And uh, I think a lot of investors that have weaker hands in the marketplace or chose poorly with their investments are going to pay the piper sooner because uh, of the pandemic. I think it's going to be really interesting um, to see what organizations and, and different parts of the ecosystem are, are still standing 12 months from now. Um, and I do predict uh, there will be some correction, but optimistically on the other side of that, you know, I think the forest is going to be healthier and I think esports is going to be healthier. And I think there's going to be some really smart, good actors um, taking esports to its place of destiny, in, in, in my opinion. And that is a digital sport for a new digital era. It's going to be the biggest sport on the planet, maybe next to soccer. Um, but uh, I think wonderful things are ahead for the people that have really made their bets and are going to stay the course and operate efficiently and intelligently. And uh, those that don't, again, they're going to go the way of the dinosaur. I absolutely agree with you. And I think this crisis has definitely accelerated some of that market correction, but at the same time has also illustrated just how popular esports and gaming is with record numbers on all the various video game platforms. Well, hey, Jason, thank you so much for joining the show. Can you plug Complexity? Where, what teams should people be watching? What social channels should they be following? Please plug the company <laughs> wherever you can. Yeah, the great thing about these days is Google Complexity Gaming, and you'll, you'll find all that great stuff. Websites at complexity.gg, and you know you find us on Twitter at Complexity, and, and, and of course on Instagram, and now TikTok, and, and all these newfangled uh, social media outlets. But we've got a couple different YouTube channels you can, you can check out, and including our, our Counter-Strike series called Through the Smoke um, that has been award-nominated. Um, we're proud of the work our content team does, and I'm proud of the work a lot of people in our company do um, each and every day. So if anyone out there is interested in a, in a team um, that, that is a, a, a little bit different, I think, um, trying to do things the right way and still go out and kick plenty of ass, uh, we'd be honored and, and humbled to have all fans come on and come on and, and uh, join us on that journey. Thanks so much for, for the interview, Mitch. I appreciate your consideration. It's great chatting as always. Always great talking to you, Jason. Thanks for coming on.